Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese. Every episode of this podcast will bring in a variety of experts to help writers of all genres incorporate more authentic cops, crime, and criminals in their stories. Sitting across the interrogation room from me today is crime writer and retired police detective, Rebecca Bradley. Rebecca has released four novels in the D.I. Hannah Robbins series and a standalone thriller called Dead Blind, which is the book that first introduced me to Rebecca and made me a fan of her work. Rebecca retired from the police service after 16 years, by which time she worked as a detective constable in a specialist unit. In addition to her writing, she runs a consulting service to help crime writers write more authentic stories. Her online bio will tell you that Rebecca lives in the UK. Her family includes two cockapoos and that her daily life consists of copious amounts of tea and regular, although hopefully fictional murders. Book five of her D.I. Hannah Robbins series, which is called Kill For Me, releases this week on Valentine's Day. Rebecca, welcome to Writers on the Beat. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and no, I've been uh, looking forward to uh, to having this conversation ever since I got introduced to Dead Blind and, and read that book. I was um, just absolutely intrigued with the, the topic, and I have a, a friend who actually uh, suffers from that same ailment, and it was really fascinating to, to read your book. How did you come up with the, the idea for Dead Blind? Um. I'd also heard of that um, prosopagnosia, face blindness, and it intrigued me. Um, and I just wanted to know how I could incorporate it into a book and writing crime fiction. I just thought having a witness would be um, a fantastic way to doing it, for doing it. But then having it as a police officer who had prosopagnosia, that would just be a, a brilliant way to do it and for them to be the witness. Um, and it just kind of went from there. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that book. And one of the things that, that it was, you know, it, to, to me was entirely not just possible, but also really plausible, right? That, you know, cops, um, at least on, on this side of the pond, we're a pretty um, type A group and we don't like to admit failures or, or difficulties or struggles. And, in my mind, I can totally see a cop having that uh, uh, that affliction after a trauma and being unwilling to admit that they can't carry on. That was entirely plausible to me. Yes, and it's not something that would come up in uh, a physical to get mm -hmm. you back to work either. You would be able to hide it and, and pretend that you don't have it. Yeah, yeah, it was really, really fascinating with with your background in, in your side hustle, um, helping writers write more authentic crime fiction, it kind of seems like you're a, a natural fit for our audience, which kind of makes me a little bit concerned that you're trying to run me out of a job. I just got this <laughs> one, so if you can avoid that, that'd be great. Yeah, your job's definitely safe. I, I'm much more comfortable behind the keyboard than I am a microphone. Um, <laughs> you've no idea how anxious I am right now. <laughs> oh, no worries. Uh, we're, we're all friends here. Yeah. Um, the, one of the things that, um, I think for American readers, um, American audience, as much commonality as there is between the UK and American police services and our, all of our common origins with, um, Sir Robert Peeler, um, 
sorry, Sir Robert Peel and the and the and and the Peelers. Um, I think there are pretty tremendous differences that that we don't often don't often appreciate. Um, can you give us a little insight into what the careers like of a um, a police officer in the UK? Like, how do you guys start out? And is it patrol like we do here? And then you eventually work up into investigations. And can you tell us a little bit more about your career? Yeah, I started fairly late. Um, I first wanted to join the police when I was at school, but they had height restrictions. Um, you couldn't actually join the police unless you were a certain height. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm only five foot tall, um, so I couldn't join. And it wasn't until I was 28 that I realized that they'd removed that restriction. So I joined when I was 29. So I was fairly late to the service. Um, but you, you initially join in uniform. Um, and you have to do two years as what's called probationary constable. You do some about four months in school um, where you learn all the law, etc. And then you come out and you do about 10 weeks with a tutor constable where you go out in a pair all the time. And then they let you loose on your own. But you're still a probationer for two years. Mm -hmm. And then after your two years, you can take whatever career path you want within the um, service you can either go for promotion um, or you can go for any of the many um, different departments that they've got there so um, or you can stay in uniform responding to the jobs that come in which is where you start as a response officer um, you, all the jobs that are coming in from the public um, you're going out and, and dealing with those you can stay there and do that for as long as you want to do that or you can like I say go for promotion or uh, try a different department and go for promotion that way um, as a detective and be promoted as a detective sergeant detective inspector detective chief inspector etc um, or you can go for promotion as a uniform officer so there's there's all different routes you can take throughout it, it's, mm -hmm. which is a good thing about the police. It's you're not stuck in one place all the time. You, there's all different things that you can do. Yeah, you know, I think that's one of the things that that got most of us into the police service. You know, the 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 compulsion to serve, but but also the idea that you know you're not sitting behind a desk and the with the same job every day. You know, it's not a um, it's not so predictable and mundane. Um, can you tell us a little bit about about your own career and and your own career path through the through the police service? Yeah, I spent seven years in uniform responding to incidents, um, and then I moved into a specialist unit and took my detective exams where I became a, a detective. Um, I worked on sexual exploitation, so I was dealing with mm. serious sexual offences and offenders. Um, from human trafficking to um, grooming um, images mm -hmm. online. Um, and I stayed there for eight years until I uh, had to leave on medical grounds. Um, but that was, that was a, a tough, tough job, but it gave you some satisfaction when you were doing it. Yeah, I, until I became a cop, I, I had no appreciation for how ugly that world is and how mm, it's dark it, it is it is unbelievably terrible and you know the the picture you know the 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 image that the public has of you know like the, the julia roberts movie pretty woman is 
so far from reality that there is no resemblance other than sex is being traded for money. And the the women who fall victim to that, um, I have unbelievable uh, sympathy for them and trying to help them get not just rescued, but recovered in rehab because it, it, it is a, it is a very long-term process. Once someone is, is lured, um, kidnapped or coerced into that lifestyle, there's no one who actually volunteers to go do this. It's very different than, than what the public thinks. And it's very difficult to get it through the court system mm-hmm. as well, because, um, they're not classed as particularly good witnesses either, mm-hmm. um, or, um, victims because they're not they're they're difficult people in Mm -hmm. those that are in those circumstances they're not nice clean girl next doors um it's it's just a difficult world yeah it's not the typical victim or witness that the courts and the juries are accustomed to seeing you know it's um when i worked um interdiction and um drug trafficking a little bit we um, you know, you'd have to spend a little bit of time educating the juries and sometimes the prosecutors about the realities of that crime. But with sex trafficking, human trafficking, um, exploitation, all those things, I think you have to spend so much more time educating the folks who were involved in this case about the reality of it, that it becomes uh, sometimes a difficult sell if you don't have a really you know, a really clean case or some objective third party witness or, or someone who can help it along. It, it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. It was the, the good thing about working there was the, um, the satisfaction when you did get a good sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, that made it all worthwhile, to be honest. Otherwise, yeah. you could get really get thrown under the bus working, um, working in it. Yeah, I would, you know, it's, um, it's it's a very very tough assignment, and I was never specifically assigned to uh, to a unit with that. We just had some some run-ins on on some periphery cases that I was working on yeah. other things, and um, you know those are some of um, some of my worst uh, worst memories about about that part of the job were were those victims in those cases, and you know it's, yeah. it's been terrible. Um. On a lighter note, <laughs> for, <laughs> yeah. No, before we go, I guess too far down this incredibly dark rabbit hole, and and everyone starts drinking. Um, what uh, for readers who haven't met uh, Di Hannah Robbins, can you tell us about her and about that series? Um, yeah, it's a UK set police procedural series with a female Di protagonist who leads a team on the major crime unit. I write it in first-person narrative um, when writing from Hannah's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, she's single and dedicated to the job, um, which stops her having a life outside of it. Her family's a bit of a mess, so um, she throws herself into her work. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I like to give her as much of a difficult time as I can with the cases that I throw at her. Um, and I just like to see what what kind of things I can come up with that um, I can get her into. Yeah, you know, as a as a writer, it always reminds me of that that expression that you know we hurt 
those closest to us the most. And I think that's especially true of our, our main yes. characters, our protagonists, the, the way we really put them through the ringer, um, are a lot of, a lot of uh, Hannah Robbins, a lot of her experiences, are they very similar to yours? Are they based on yours? Is there a lot of bleed over there? Or um, what, what's the similarity between the two of you? Um, I think writing first person narrative, I don't think you can help but let some of myself seep into it. Um, but it's more um, personal points of view than anything else. Because of, as we've just discussed, the, the world that I worked in was pretty mm -hmm. dark. Um, I don't draw on that for the books. Um, mm. That's understandable. So it's just more, it's just more of me as a person, I think, that um, just my points of view on the good guys and the bad guys and that kind of thing that you will probably be able to pick out um, rather than anything else. And I don't draw on the job. The only, the only thing that I draw on for the job is um, what it's like to be emotion, emotionally attached to a job or the camaraderie between a team and that kind of thing. Yeah, it is really ironic for for us as cops that you know we are we're so invested emotionally in the job and in the task at hand, but at the same time we're we're having to be objective and oftentimes emotionless on the job when we're having to process these difficult things or or work through a case and be objective. And I, I've always found that to be kind of a difficult thing to keep in check. Yeah, you. You do have to be, um, you would drive yourself mad if you were emotionally connected to every single job that came yes. into the office. Yeah. Um, you do kind of have to be quite dispassionate about it. Um, but then there are some jobs that do kind of just creep under that and, and get to you a little bit. And it's, it's those ones that I tend to um, write about a little bit in the books because you can't have her being too hard because people think she doesn't care about anything. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, I think that's one of the most interesting things is having, you know, those fully three dimensional characters with, you know, the, the, their, their own flaws, their own personality, their own shortcomings. And, and I think that that also makes them a lot more identifiable and relatable to readers. Um, in, your next book, um, which is called Kill For Me, comes out this week. Um, I'm really intrigued by this story because it, you've crafted um, what seems to me a pretty impossible moral dilemma. Um, can you tell readers about about uh, Kill For Me and, and what that book is about? Yes, um, I really like this one that I've written. It's a little bit different to the others because it focuses more on... Um, the victims and killers than it does the t the investigative team. Um, it starts with a woman whose child has been kidnapped and the only way she's going to get her back is if she kills somebody. So she has to make a, a choice whether she's prepared to kill to get her child back. Um, and we have a killer that has then realises he can make people kill um if he pushes people far enough without actually having to get hands on himself 
Yeah, that uh, it reminded me a little bit of uh, um, kind of Stephen, like uh, a little bit of Stephen King's Needful Things. That you know, there's this you know this puppet master in the background who's manipulating people through you know their their own their own personalities and their own needs. And I actually saw, interestingly enough, um, a, a new uh, TV show here in the U.S. that uh, the ads just started this week uh, for a show called The Enemy Within. That's similarly, um, the main character faces a, an impossible moral decision that she has to give up. I think she's a CIA analyst, but she has to give up a list of covert operatives in order to get her daughter back. Um, oh. and, you know, I, I think that, you know. Um, you know, I, I can totally understand someone, you know, making either decision, you know, I, it's, yeah, it's it, your worst nightmare, isn't it? Yeah, as a parent. Yeah. yeah. You know, and even, um, even if it were, you know, not, not your child, I mean, that, that makes it so much worse, but even just any, you know, another person, I, I think it's difficult enough, but when you add that element of it being your child, it's, it's a totally impossible. There's no win, you know, it will never mm -hmm. be. Able to win. I'm also a pretty big fan of, uh, of British crime shows. And I, um, in talking to you and kind of getting set up for, for the interview, one of the things that I, I'm really fascinated with, um, I mentioned a little bit earlier, but are, are the, the common origins in American and uh, UK law enforcement. Uh, but the, they've diverged, I think, quite a bit. And so when I'm watching shows like like Whitechapel, um, I'm never sure how much of those shows are, are reality and how much of it's fiction from a procedural standpoint. Um, when you're watching UK crime shows, what are what are the things that authors and and uh, folks tend to get most wrong on, on your side of the pond? Um, to be honest, I'd like to watch and read US crime a lot because I don't know what they're getting right and wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, reading UK, I'm too busy thinking, you wouldn't do that, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's easier to read and watch US crime. Um, yeah. Personal pet peeves. Um, they they do go out of the way now to get um, the police in to tell them whether how the procedure for a crime show mm -hmm. now, um, but just it still doesn't stop them doing some of the things wrong. My personal pet peeves in novels is when they um, call female police officers WPC. I mean that's archaic. It's not been done over. 20 years now wow um it it drives me insane um mm. and the other thing is when a boss threatens some kind of punishment that they can't do like transfer them to a different force area altogether or, mm -hmm. or something like that i mean if uh, a police officer is going to be punished there's there's regulations and things that they have to go through you can't just snap your fingers and and something happen um you know what it's like but it's all red tape and procedure you can't just transfer somebody because you feel like it um, and it's just the small things like that that but it's to make the show look more dramatic sure or the sure. book more dramatic um but if you stuck to real procedure it would be a dull show 
It it would it would uh, it'd be incredibly boring. The one of the one of my instructors in the academy um, described the job as ninety eight percent mundane boredom and two percent sheer terror. <laughs> and, That's it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you, know the, you get five minutes excitement, don't you? And then the rest is just days and days of paperwork. Yeah, and days and days of writing about what you did in that five minutes. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, the, it. Yeah, the, the more interesting or the more fun you have, the more time you're going to have to spend behind the keyboard. They, yes. they never tell you that in the recruiting videos. No, no. Um, one of the things that I, I before I, I, I let you get off the, 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 the UK-US difference topic, um, one of the things that's fascinating to me is I, I'm a little bit of uh, what we'd call here in the US a, a civil libertarian. And I'm personally very focused on individual rights, individual liberties um, from a philosophical and ideological standpoint. And so I'm, as a, as a cop, I've always been very cautious about um, when I'm treading on someone's rights, someone's liberties, you know, and making sure that I'm, I'm always on the, on the right side of things. And for the, uh, for the audience's benefit here in the U S um, there's, generally speaking, uh, a couple ways that cops can can hang on to somebody. And the, the first of them is called investigative detention. And basically what that means is we think that there's a specific person or that this specific person is involved with a specific crime. And the crime is happening right now, it's about to happen or it just happened. And so we can stop them and detain them hence the term investigative detention, but we can only detain them for long enough to investigate to say that, you know, this is or isn't happening. Um, we can't move them around. Um, we, they're not under arrest. They're just not free to leave yet. What it basically means is we have reasonable suspicion that they've done a bad thing, but we don't have probable cause yet to arrest them. And then obviously the second general incident is that we can arrest someone when we have probable cause that they committed a specific crime. Um, one of the things that's fascinating to me, I tell you all that to tell you this, that's fascinating yeah. to me watching the, the UK shows um, or, you know, occasionally, you, you know, cops will, you know, uh, detectives will, will roll up to a house and, you know, John, we need to talk to you about this thing. You know, we need you to come downtown with us. And it's like, he never has a choice. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious about how that actually works out in real life over there. Oh, you're really making me use my head now, aren't you? I've not <laughs> done anything like this for a long time. Um, okay. I think the main difference here in the UK is the difference between the UK and US power of arrest. Um, I think they're different. And that's where um, the confusion is from what I've picked up. I think you need more for your power of arrest than we do. I think your probable cause is more than our, ours, which is we need reasonable grounds to suspect to make an arrest, okay. which I don't think is as much as your probable cause. Yes, so I think you're right. If we have reasonable grounds to suspect that they've done it, mm -hmm. And we only have to suspect that they've done it, and it's only reasonable grounds. Then we will make that arrest, and we'll take them down to the police station and and do the interview. Um, all there is, we also do have something called a voluntary interview, 
mm-hmm. where everything is still the same. They're entitled to free and independent legal advice. They're still placed under caution, but they're not under arrest and they are free to leave at any time. So if during the interview they decide they want to get up and leave, we can't stop them. We can decide that if something they've said during the interview gives us extra reason to think mm-hmm. this is our person, we, we are making that arrest now, we can stop them and make the arrest. Um, but there's those, we have got a, a voluntary interview um, option. But I, I do think our grounds for arrest is lesser than yours. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it is from what I've watched from US shows. Yeah, the um, I think it sounds like your arrest is probably analogous to our reasonable suspicion for detention. Um, that you know we we reasonably suspect this person, but yeah, probable cause yeah. is um, effectively it's just literally that they probably did it. Um, it's like a 51% probability, more likely than not, that they committed the thing. Mm-hmm. There's not a, a tremendous difference between them. I think there's just some 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 specificity um, that's yeah. in the general. Um, when you're writing uh, when things like this, um, tactics, police procedures, um, even interview techniques, when you're writing in your uh, in your stories, how do you rectify the need for authenticity in your writing um, and against kind of peeling back the curtain a little bit and, and revealing the strategy and tactics that police actually use to be effective? I do worry that I'm giving too much away sometimes um, and stuff that I shouldn't um, be saying. So what I do is if it's something I'm unsure about that I've not that I don't know I've read somewhere else or seen on the tv somewhere what I'll do is I'll google it in a roundabout way and see if I can find it online and see if it's actually in the public domain before I write it and if I can't find what I'm looking for then I stay clear and I I'll be a little bit more vague um but um for instance I'm an advanced interviewer but if I put that process into a novel um that would just bore a reader to death anyway. Um, <laughs> because advanced interviewing, it takes a long time. And um, yeah, so. Yeah, we'd lose them out. Some things that, yeah, some things are too boring to put in. And yes. some things I'll, I'll research um, and see whether it's actually in the public domain before I put it in. So how did, how did you become a writer and when did you first realize that you could write that that someone unrelated to you liked liked your work? I'm one of those people who always said I wanted to write, but it wasn't until I approached a significant birthday that I said to myself, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. So I sat down at my laptop and I started and um, I've not looked back. Um, when I first started, I started. I did a couple of short stories as well, and I let one of the civilian staff that I worked with read one of my short stories. And when she finished, she looked at me and she had tears. Uh, tears were streaming down her face. It obviously wasn't a crime story, um, and I was quite shocked at that. But it crossed my mind then that I might actually be able to write. Wow. Um, so, yeah, a kind of started and never looked back i i just love it yeah I'm. it hooks yeah, you 
it it does and i i'm i'm a really tremendous fan of your work and i'm, I'm really really glad Thank that, you. That, that you followed through on on that because it's um i think that personally you're um your your voice is i i think really important for for readers and for um for the police community to have you know and kind of a an unofficial advocate you know for for our our work and and the difficulties of it i'm, I'm glad that you followed through on this um since uh, since you have retired um one of the things that uh, you know a lot of uh former cops and and military professionals here in the u.s struggle with is that transition back into civilian life and having that new or renewed civilian identity um what has mm. that process been like for you yeah that has been difficult um the way it manifested itself for me has been in the form of dreams, especially in the beginning. Mm -hmm. I dreamt a lot about the job, uh, still being in it, running about, having fun with my colleagues, getting the mm -hmm. bad guys, that kind of thing. Being, full, <laughs> the being fully, yeah, being fully able and active and being able to do the job still because um, it was medical grounds that I retired mm -hmm. on. I'm not um, fully able now. Um, so it, it was just dreaming about being able to run about and do the stuff that I used to be able to do. Um, and at first the dr I used to dream about it nearly every night. Um, wow. It took a long time for the dreams to lessen. Um, now several years down the line, I only get them every so often, but I do still get them. Um, but it isn't like it used to be. Now, if listeners were, um, Listeners, if, if, if they were trying to craft a, a crime series about a retired UK detective constable, and it seems like something you would know a little bit about, <laughs> what, what mm. advice would you give them for creating the character, the series, the, the key points of this, and what would you most like to see them get right? Um, to be honest, if the story is good, I'm not that worried about the procedure being correct because and more about the story. Mm -hmm. um, I can ignore the fact that they made the boss make ridiculous threats that they can't carry out if I'm engrossed in a good story. Um, the key points I suppose that I'd say would be to keep it engaging, which is advice I'd give to any writer of any genre. Um, if, it, if you keep it engaging, it doesn't matter what flaws you have in there. Um, your readers will forgive you if they can't stop turning the pages. Don't mm -hmm. forget about the emotion, connect your your protagonist with what they're doing um, and I think that's the main issue the main point I'd say it's very often not just a job um, the cops become invested the trope of cops being married to the jobs is a trope for a reason because it's true um, I met up with a colleague the other day actually um, and we were discussing this relationships break up because um, cops are so involved in work that they have nothing to live nothing left to give when they go home yes. Um, yes. and it's more so as you go up the promotion ladder that this tends to happen um, the, the cops really are dedicated to their job um, and emotionally involved not particularly with every job mm -hmm. but they do, there are jobs that come along um, that really get under their skin um, and if you put that in um, to a story, then you'll really connect with the reader. If your protagonist is connected to that job, then you'll connect with your reader. 
Oh, who is uh, who is your favorite fictional detective and crime show? Um, my favorite fictional detective is Will Trent from Karen Slaughter's Grant County series. I told you I love U.S. crime. Mm -hmm. Karen Slaughter's my favorite crime writer. Um, and my favorite crime show was, uh, I don't know if you saw it, Killing Eve from last year. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I, it was absolutely brilliantly done. Um, and I can't wait for a series two. So what would you most like readers to take away from your work? Uh, the wish to read more of it. <laughs> <laughs> where can readers find you and where can, they, uh, where can authors connect with your, uh, with your services? Um, my website is rebeccabradleycrime.com um, and on there there is a section for um, the service that I offer for anybody writing UK crime. Fantastic. Well, I'm really, uh, really thankful that uh, we were able to put the, this interview together and I uh, appreciate your time and uh, I've been really looking forward to this for quite a while. Um, thanks for talking to me today. It's been great. Oh, thanks again to retired detective constable and crime writer Rebecca Bradley for joining me today. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, a proud part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.